0: Hi, church. Um, my name is Eliza, and I'm a member here at Doxology, and I'll be reading the scripture passage for today. We will be in Matthew 11, 20 to 30. If you don't have a Bible, then we have some in the back for you to take as a gift to you. Um, again, we will be in Matthew 11, 20 to 30. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Father chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
1: We are continuing in Matthew, and uh, Matthew is about how, the, how Jesus brings us into a better kingdom. And the main idea of today is... Part of what makes the kingdom of God so great is, A, that Jesus, he doesn't just bring us to like a new philosophy or a set of values, right, or like a religion per se, but he brings us to a person. And more specifically, the person of Jesus, he alone gives you rest. That's the main idea of this passage today is that Jesus gives you rest. I, I heard recently somebody commented I'm afraid I no longer know the difference between a nervous breakdown and just what life is. (laughs) Like, I'm not even going to unpack that. There's so much there, and I'm sure that probably resonates with each of you in in a specific way. And so what Jesus offers here is no matter what is swirling around you, you know, externally or stormy seas in your mind, he actually gives you a way for you to live in such a way that you can just say, it's okay. It's, it's really okay, and I'm, I'm steady. Okay, so that, that's what we see in this passage. And so uh, we'll look at Jesus' teach us uh, about this theme of rest under these three headings. He gives us a command, a promise, and practices. He gives us a, a command, a promise, and practices when it comes to rest. Okay, so first number one, he gives us a command. And the part of the, the heart of the passage, which is what we're going to be orbiting around for our time together today, is here in verse 28 and 29. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so this is the command. Come to me and take my yoke upon you. So Jesus living in an agrarian society, he uses an agrarian metaphor. And if you're not aware, a yoke is a, some type of wooden crossbeam that goes across the necks of usually two animals, typically a pack animal like an ox or a mule. And it so locks their heads side by side, right? That's where one ox goes, so goes the other ox. And this crossbeam is attached to some type of burden, right? Be it a cart, a plow, and so forth that they pull together. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you hear what he's implying, When he says, take my yoke, he's implying you've already yoked yourself to something, right? You've already attached yourself to something that you feel like you need for fullness or for rest. And so think about the metaphor, right? As where one ox goes, so goes the other. Like whatever pursuit, person, thing— you have yoked yourself to, you will go where that thing goes. So some examples, if you've yoked yourself to career success, right, or attendant peer approval in your field, if your career is going well, you're up, okay, if things are not going well in your career, you're down, or if you've yoked yourself to needing something from someone, right, needing your your child to behave a certain way, or a friend or a family member to behave a certain way, if they're behaving as you want them to, you're up, okay, if they're not you're in the pits, okay? And so what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to know how to find rest, really, this is, at the, this is at the heart of Christianity. Is Jesus is saying, at, at the heart of not just rest, but of becoming fully human and living life and enjoying life as it's meant to be lived is unyoking yourself from whatever you've absolutized. And everybody has yoked themselves to something. And yoke yourself to me, right? Who alone can give you fullness of life and rest for your souls. So that's the that's the principle. That's the command. And so because Jesus' teachings, they always apply to a particular time and place. Um, I was thinking about how this is particularly relevant for us in the month of June. And as many of you know, uh, June, especially in an urban context, is Pride Month, right? Where there's a, a particular celebration of and emphasis on the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and now at just as you think about this, and some of you are nervous right now, don't, don't be so nervous. At the heart of this, right, is, there's actually a gospel impulse there, right? The need to belong, the need to be seen and not be condemned. Right? In other words, there's a, there's a desire to find rest. That, that's a God-given desire, right? That's a, that's a good thing. And at the same time, as we examine this movement more thoughtfully, uh, what we see is that it's not fundamentally about sexual identity or gender expression per se, but it gets to the heart of what is a human person, and where is rest ultimately found? And there's an author named Tara Isabella Burton. She writes for the New York Times, and a few years ago, she wrote a book called Strange Rights, where she surveys the spiritual landscape of the West. And in this book, she talks about the fact that, like in our Western environment, we've so divinized—is a term she used—we've we've so divinized desire that we make synonymous our loudest or our most powerful desires and our deepest, most authentic selves. And so, in order for you to become truly human, right? In order to find rest, in order to be fully alive, you need to. Express whatever desire you find within, and also along with that, whatever external voice or social obligation may be contradicting or interfering with the desi- that desire. You need to shove aside immediately. And what Tara does is she she pushes back against this, and she says, "Just first, one thing we have to see: we need to zoom out and understand that, like this view that your that your desires, sexual or otherwise, right, any form of desire." That that idea, like, that is your deepest self. She says, you have to understand, that's a uniquely Western European view of identity, which is really narrow, and actually not how most of the world understands identity. Uh, but also, al- along with that, this idea that I can really only know and be myself when I'm living the desires that I have within and not letting other s- people speak in it. She's like, that just ignores the fact that as humans, we are irre- irreducibly social beings, and we also need to take into account Social obligation, right? Like love of neighbor, and allowing other people to speak into our lives, and this is what. So she's intuiting what Jesus is getting at, right? Which is the way you become fully human. This this is for everybody, right? Isn't living out whatever desire you find, but instead, instead of absolutizing that, okay, is yoking yourself to me, to Jesus, and then me as your Creator and Redeemer, I now can order your longings appropriately so that you find rest and fullness of life, okay? And so now as we think about applications here, and hopefully this challenges and helps everybody, for those of you who maybe you have a hard time being compassionate toward those who identify as part of the LGBTQ community, a a challenge to you is, like, we, we must show compassion, right? Compassion is a command. We looked at this a few weeks ago. And what may help is that when you understand that at the heart of every single human, me and you and and everybody else, is we've all yoked ourselves to something other than Jesus, right? That we depend on for our well-being and for our emotional, you know, stability. We've all yoked ourselves to something other than Jesus. And so the call of Jesus, it's a democratic call where all of us are called to unyoke ourselves from whatever we have yoked ourselves, whether that's desire or something else, And come to him. And so we're all in the same boat here, right? Jesus places all of us in the same boat. And so hopefully that will help you not, hopefully never look down on somebody else because their, their life, right? Or how they're wired looks differently than you. And on the other hand, while we, while we must be compassionate, we need to also be thoughtful, right? Because at the, at the heart of this discussion is what is a human person and where is fullness of life found? And the question is, so is a human person their desire and fullness of life is found in expressing that? Or is is a human being fundamentally someone who's made in the image of God? Right? And then fullness of life is, is coming to Jesus and then letting him work on us with all of our stuff. And so for you, if you're a Christian here and maybe in the name of compassion, which is a good thing, you never... Challenge the Western view of personhood, just want to encourage you that you're you're propagating a view of personhood that doesn't align with Jesus in the Bible and if you're here and you're you're not a believer, I just want to put before you right what Jesus is putting before us all here, which is that like just ask the question is how I understand and intuit the self and where the good life is found is that more is that just given to me by my culture and I have accepted it, or is could part of my view be challenged in some way okay? So uh, that's number one, right? The command of Jesus, come to me, unyoke yourself from whatever you've absolutized, and then I will give you rest, okay? And so that leads us to number two, the promise. And we've already said it a bunch of times, okay? So Jesus says, when you come to me and you take my yoke upon you, he says, I give you rest. That's the promise. Now, for some context here, in verse 20 to 24, he describes the type of people who reject him, and there's a lot in this passage, and uh, Jesus is actually going to cover this same principle in the next chapter, chapter 12, so we're not going to unpack all of his woes and judgments to the other cities. We'll cover that in a few weeks uh, once I return from Kenya. But so he describes those who reject him, but then he also describes the people in turn who receive Jesus, and see how he describes them in verse 25. He says, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. This isn't the good kind of wisdom. This is a proud kind of wisdom and reveal them to little children, right? So it's those who are as little children who come to Jesus and receive this invitation. And this image of little children, it does a lot of heavy lifting for Jesus, uh, as he describes discipleship. But at the, one of the, it's, it's rich, but one of the components is, you think about a little child, what's true about every little child is, every little child is dependent. So dependent. And, In a good home, this dependence isn't a source of angst, but it's a source of rest. Why? Because the child, they don't have the burden of self-sufficiency where they need to be an adult and provide for themselves. Right? So a, a child doesn't have the burden of asking themselves questions like, Will I have enough for retirement? Right? Will this person I'm in love with reciprocate? Um. Did the fact that my boss just sent me a one-sentence email without any emojis or exclamation marks mean they hate me and they're going to fire me tomorrow, right? Like they don't have these burdens because they don't live a life of self-sufficiency. They're dependent on their parent who they know cares for them and who loves them. And so when Jesus says you need to become, as a little, little child, he's contrasting himself with every other form, every other salvation project on the planet, which every other salvation project says you need to be an adult, in the sense of you need to be self-sufficient, right? In terms of earning salvation, and in traditional religion, this is a lot more obvious. Okay, do A, B, C, and God will bless you. And this is why this is why for many religious people, and I imagine a number of you in here, like this type of thinking, and this thinking is in all of us to a degree. This, this places a burden on you because you're always wondering, you know, am. Am I doing enough? Am I being enough? And you're you're exhausted, right? So that's the religious approach. That's why religion places a, a burden on you. But also in our modern culture, it's also a self-salvation project, even though we don't call it a salvation project, right? It's a salvation project of freedom and self-expression where it says, okay, we've cast aside the yoke of religion. You can be free. You need to express yourself. And that sounds, I mean, freedom is in the ethic, right? So it, it sounds liberating, but Alain de Bouton, he's a Swiss-born British author, and he wrote a book called Status Anxiety where he's critiquing this Western right, idea that all of us buy into in some way or another of freedom and self-expression. He says, yeah, it sounds liberating, but if you think about it, if religious cultures are defined by a lot of guilt, right, I'm not doing enough for God, our modern Western culture is defined by anxiety. Because if we put freedom and self-expression on a pedestal, what this means is you're always wondering, am I doing enough to like actualize my own potential? Am I doing enough compared to my peers, which we're always seeing on social media and our workplaces everywhere, and it's exhausting because you got to be brilliant. You got to be beautiful, and it's just one other yoke that we're putting, that we're putting on ourselves, and so when Jesus says, come to me saying, I give you the only way of living that's that's not burdensome, but it's freeing because I, as your Savior, in my life, my death, and my resurrection, I guarantee you that you are loved by God, secured by God. This is nothing you need to do, right? But now you live out of the rest that's given to you. Okay, so you don't need to have this frenetic. Am I doing enough? How am I comparing it to my peers? Am I doing enough for God? You're never under the condemnation of God in the gospel. Okay, so this is the the promise that that Jesus is the promise that Jesus gives us. And so, um, again, as we flush out some applications here, let's think about this in terms of our relationships and then applying this to ourselves. So in your relationships, and I think especially in D.C., where we live, right, the epicenter of politics, um, just consider how you may implicitly or explicitly put a burden on somebody else. And what I mean by this, and here I just I want to challenge those of you who lean more conservative. Uh, it, it's easy for conservative-leaning people to say things like, you know, the problem with our nation is the amoral liberals, right? And so what we need to do is we need to convert them to conservative values of nation and family and sexual purity. And what Jesus is saying here is that's exactly what you must not do, and here's why. Because while Jesus does uphold the goodness of the family unit, while he does uphold the goodness of sexual boundaries, if your main end is just to get somebody to hold to the same values that you do, you see what you're doing. Now you're just converting them from one system of values, which is burdensome, to another system of values, right? Which inevitably you can't live up to. And on the other on the other side as well, right, if you're a more liberal-leaning person, you say, well, the problem with the country is all these conservatives, and so I need to convert them to ideas of equality and justice and so forth. You're also doing the same thing. You're now just trying to convert somebody to a system, okay? And while laws absolutely matter, right? And so hopefully you've heard this enough here that politics matters. Laws work to restrain evil and promote the common good. What I want to put before you is, especially in your flesh-and-blood relationships— and hopefully you're in friendship and relationship with people across the political divide from you. Like is your main aim angst worry or the reason why you just check out from conversations altogether because at the heart you're just trying to get them to buy into your I, like idea of the right values or is your is your main aim to bring them to a person right to Jesus who alone is going to give them rest for their souls? And then Christ will work on all of us, right, to to order what values we should have and so forth. So that's how it should hopefully help you just kind of rethink like what you prioritize and, and how you view people and what you're trying to, to do. It's just, we always going to be bringing people to a person, not another self-salvation project. And number two, and this is the, the most important part, for you, and I was really having to practice this this week, Jesus, he actually wants to give you rest come to me you who labor and are burdened jesus knows you're burdened he knows you have relational burdens and spiritual burdens and mental burdens and work burdens and he says, come to me if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The author, Dane Ortlund, points out that there's only one place Jesus explicitly describes his heart, and that's right here. I'm gentle and lowly, meaning like when you, when you interrupt Jesus, when you catch him off his guard, his immediate response is gentleness and to take your burdens from you. And so as, as we think about this, like, let's go back to the image he gives us of a yoke. So imagine if I'm with, I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And I'm, I don't have a yard, but if I did, say I'm like doing a bunch of yard work. And <laughs> I've got this big wagon behind me and I tell my three-year-old, right, all right, let's get on this yoke together. We're going to pull this thing. Together. I don't even know how that yoke would be shaped because he's down here and I'm up here. But just imagine that it's somehow linking the two of us, right? So we're pulling this this thousand-pound thing who's doing most of the work <laughs> right my son's like man this is great i love yard work and meaning, meanwhile I'm just i am you know about to pass out now carry this over to jesus you yoke yourself to jesus who's carrying your burdens you know is it you or is it the one who made galaxies by speaking them. And this is his promise. And this is what I love about Jesus is that as Savior, his work doesn't just stop at the cross, as vital and magnificent as that is. He doesn't just save you or forgive you, but he he longs to give you refreshment and to take your burdens. And so that's why he says, come to me. Okay, so that's the promise. So now let's look at practices And I'm getting this here from the image of yoke. It does a lot for us. Take my yoke upon you. So this, in Jesus' day, this was a way, this is how a lot of rabbis and religious teachers spoke, actually. Like, take my yoke upon you, which means attach yourself to me in full-life discipleship. And so Jesus is telling us what we looked at a couple weeks ago when we looked at doubt is that the Christian life knowing Jesus, it's never about just mental or cognitive assent or even 100% certainty, but it's a life of embodied commitment to Jesus and his people and his teachings. And the reason why this matters is as we've been talking about rest, You, you may have been asking yourself, like, okay, this sounds great being refreshed by Jesus, but how do I actually experience it? And this is the practices, okay? The practices bring us into a subjective experience of the objective reality, that Christ carries our burdens. And I think about just a couple weeks ago, I got together with a friend of mine I've known since we were five years old. So we've been really close friends. Uh, he's one of my best friends, you know, for over 30 years now. And we got dinner and I mean, this guy, he's just been, he's been through a lot over the past few years. It's just, life has been brutal. And so he's just sharing with me these things. And so we we leave dinner and we're on the, the corner of the street about to part ways. And he just looks at me and he goes, he just, his eyes start to well because, you know, Steve, you, you really mean a lot to me. Like, thank you for your friendship. And I said, you really mean a lot to me too. And, you know, we hugged each other. Now every passerby is wondering why are two grown men weeping on, on the sidewalk in the middle of Arlington. But what happened there? Right? There's this objective reality of our 30-some year friendship. But in that moment, w- we were subjectively experiencing Right, what was already objectively true. And so these practices, they don't, these aren't ways to make you earn your salvation, but they're how you subjectively experience the rest that Jesus gives you. Okay, so let's just do a flyover of these. And so first we have solitude and solitude and Sabbath. And these two practices resist what Dallas Willard, an author, calls hurry. He says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Uh, because when, when we always need to be producing, when we're always listening to podcasts, when we always need to be—and we're not just in silence and resting. We can't hear the the voice of Jesus. And so solitude and Sabbath work to counteract our impulse in this day toward hurry. So solitude is just as simple as exactly what it sounds like. You're alone, and you're with Jesus in his word and in prayer. And it's, it's just the simple principle of you can't experience the rest of Jesus— if you're not speaking to Jesus and hearing from Jesus. And then with Sabbath, uh, Sabbath, as one author put it, is Sabbath is a day where you, you remove any shoulds, musts, or have tos from your schedule. It's where you don't do anything that could compensate you or make you feel like, okay, I'm producing or earning my sense of value in the world. Right? So it's just a full day set aside to enjoy God, love other people around you, And so forth, right? So that's, that, that's solitude and Sabbath. And all these practices, by the way, they're things taught and affirmed by Jesus and then practiced throughout the historic church. Uh, next, and these are, two of these are pairings. So the next is confession and fasting. And what these do is they work to kill the self-centered and instant gratification impulses that we have and lead us into love, right? And so confession, what we do here is by, by naming the parts of our lives, that go against God, that go against love, we destroy their power over us, right, and it's, here with confession, I found that for me and most people, it's like, we're fine doing it to God, but we have a really hard time speaking out loud to other people, which should be, should be reversed, but what's going on here, I mean, you can't even enter the kingdom of God without Confessing, right? I'm a rebel. I'm in need of grace. So, this should free us to confess. And one of the things that I appreciate most about our elder team is just we have a practice of regular confession where we can name the things that are really, they feel shameful to say out loud. But then, because we're undergirded by the gospel of grace, we receive accountability, right? We don't minimize things with each other, but we also come alongside one another, just as Jesus says, because he says he's gentle and lowly. And then, with fasting, we looked at this a few months ago in the, <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount. This is, fasting helps to work, right, against killing our, our impulses toward instant gratification, which will have carryover toward other areas of our life. And it also reminds us that God alone, Jesus alone is our, is our provider. Okay, so we have solitude and Sabbath, confession and fasting. They go together. Next, we have obedience. Obedience is a practice. So when, when Jesus says, learn from me here in verse 29, um, I mean, at minimum, what he's saying is, Practice or obey my teachings, most notably the Sermon on the Mount that he's just given. And the Sermon on the Mount, you can sum up as receiving love from, from God and giving love to other people. Okay, so we often pit grace and obedience against each other, but they're actually two sides of the same coin. When you obey Jesus, he says in John 14, if you love me, you obey my commandments, you're actually brought into deeper rest because now you have a more intimate relationship with Jesus as you obey him. And then finally, uh, number four or six, depending on your accounting, is, is life together or the church. And this image can conjure up a lot of things, you know, good and bad and hard for people, but, you know, w- when Jesus went to the cross, he absolutely had you in mind. But he also had the person next to you in mind. He had the person, the man or woman, across the room from you. And so while the church can be messy and painful and and complicated, Jesus so loved the church that he calls, calls her his bride. Okay, that he wanted to die for her and rise again for her so that he can give you a community through which you can persevere in the faith and actually experience the rest of Jesus. You are a relational being. And so when you open yourself up to be known in the church, And to serve others, now joys are amplified, doubt is walked through, sorrows are attenuated. And you experience what Jesus says in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Okay, so we have life together in the church. And I know this is, you know, this is a lot, maybe, or maybe, maybe not, but maybe it feels like a lot being dumped on you. The point isn't tomorrow, run after all six of these full throttle. The point is just to kind of start to whet your appetite to see that experiencing the rest of Jesus comes through lived life and actually being intentional with the things that we do Um, and just to, in community, in the church, start to walk alongside one another and experiencing and and enjoying the rest of Jesus. So um, I couldn't really think of, like, a great way to end this sermon (laughs) now that we're (laughs) finished with these practices. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) So I think let me just let me just finish by uh, by reading again what Jesus says in in verse 28. Uh, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.